everybody good? Woo! <laughs> yeah, that sometimes just makes me feel better, you know? Woo! <laughs> yeah, hey, my name is Adam Russell, and it's really cool to be with you guys this week. Um, we've had a great time, my son River and I, we've had a great time here in the UK. It's my second time in the UK, this is River's first time, and um, this morning when we, were, when we were coming to church, I'm like, hey, Riv, you, you just, you just want to stay, you know? And River's like, well, you know, maybe, because I could totally sauce these guys at basketball. <laughs> what you don't know is that basketball is not his main sport, you know? His main sport is soccer, which you guys would destroy him at, right? But if we play basketball, we're taking you, you know? That's, that's one of the advantages we have while we're here, and it's made us reconsider our lives a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, we live in Kentucky, which is sort of the northernmost part of the deep south of America, which is a very peculiar place. Uh, we are a part of the vineyard. Um, I'm the pastor of the vineyard in Campbellsville, Kentucky, along with my wife. Uh, we have four kids. River's my oldest. I've got three others. I've got three boys and one daughter. I'll tell you one little story about my son, Rowan. Uh, he's four. We weren't anticipating him. <clears throat> There's eight years between he and his, he and his sister. Uh, but he's ended up being part of the joy in our family. And um, he's unchained, okay, in a way that only a four-year-old who has all much older siblings can be. And a few weeks ago, Rowan and I went to Kroger, which is like the grocery store, with another friend. And while we were in Kroger, there was a guy who was, you know, really close to us. And he was in one of those little carts. I don't know if you guys have those little carts at your shopping places, but you know, like the little motorized carts with the buggy in front of it, you know? And... This guy was a little peculiar looking, which was already making me hold my breath because I'm holding Rowan's hand and I'm just like, in my brain, I'm going, oh no. You know, he's, sometimes as a, as a parent, you have the terror, you know? You know your children. Anyway, this guy is in this sort of like black suit with this really intense burgundy shirt and he has a gold ring on every one of his fingers and he's got his hair like slicked back and he's kind of a big guy and I'm holding Rowan's hand and we sort of like walk past him and, I, and I'm, I'm like, well, I think we made it, you know? And we're, we're about to head down the aisle and we make it like three steps and I can feel Rowan like turn around because my hand got, does one of these and Rowan turns around and he stops and so I stop and all of a sudden he just blurts out, oh my God, dad, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> the guy definitely heard it. I'm just like dragging my kid, you know? Yeah. Okay, that is not what I want to talk to you about tonight. Transition. Okay, yeah. Hey, I just want to talk to you about some stuff tonight that I've just been thinking about. Is that cool? I'm going to talk to you about some stuff that's like different than I shared with uh, the church this morning. Um, so this is just some stuff that I almost feel like God's been talking to me about. I don't know if you know this, pastor secret. Sometimes pastors just preach things and just because we, we, it's Sunday and you're going to preach something. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> he's a holy man. He's, he's also not telling the truth, okay? <laughs> anyway, but, one of the, but sometimes, sometimes like God begins to like show us something. I just, I just want to share some stuff that God's been talking to me about and it's been helpful to me and then it, it might actually end up being helpful to you. Is that okay? Great. Uh, how many of you were here, uh, how many of you went to the Cost to Live For conference? Woo! 
Okay, cool. Because I want to talk a little bit about something that I shared last night. Just a little bit, okay? Because that's, that's something that God's been talking to me about. But we'll get there. Here's what I want to do first. Uh, the scripture tonight, I just want to talk to you about one scripture. It's out of the book of Proverbs. And it's uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It's like super famous. Super famous. Um, it's, it's this scripture. Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. I, I speak for a living. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. And I've had this rolling around in my head for a little while. This has sort of been rolling around in my noggin and rolling around in my heart for about three weeks. And I think it's something that God's been talking to me about. And I I just wrote some things down, and I want to share some of this with you. Uh, The first thing I want you to notice is that the image that's on display here is that your heart is like a fountain or it's, it's like a well. And, and I don't know if, I don't know, I mean, you're city people, but I, you know, I'm a country person. I don't know, do you guys know about wells and fountains and that sort of thing? You know, like, you know you drop a bucket down or, or something like that. Yeah, when, when I was a kid, <clears throat> I grew up on a farm, and when I was a kid, on the backside of the farm, there was a, a, a big stand of woods and sort of like tucked in this one corner of the woods, there was this little, um, there was this little well house that uh, essentially uh, the people who owned the farm generations before had built because uh, they, they had made this little well house around an actual natural spring that, that came out of the ground, right? So there was this spring there, and, and, and basically, in case you didn't know, like the spring is just where an underground aquifer comes out, you know? And then that spring ends up feeding this, this stream. And when I was a kid... Um, there was always water there. And we would even occasionally go up there and just drink out of it. We, there was like a little cup sitting there. And we'd just go up there and get a drink. And it tasted amazing, you know. It was always cold. And what was interesting is uh, in Kentucky, it gets really hot in the summer. We have like four real seasons. And um, I understand that you guys, it's just like cloudy and gray and then more cloudy and gray. Those are your two seasons. <laughs> I, am I overgeneralizing? I don't know. But we have four distinct seasons and summer's flipping hot, you know. And uh, we would go up there and just, you know, get a cup of water and we would, we would drink it, you know, and put it back and go on about whatever we were doing because when I was a kid, we just played in the woods. That's just what we did. And, uh, so this image is sort of like in my head. And this is the image that would be in whoever wrote this passage. That would be in their head. And so I hope that's in your head. It's this idea that there's this fountain, there's this well, there's this spring, and then it's, it's, it's where something that's underneath the ground is, is coming out and then it's producing this stream it goes down, you know, and it's cool and it's refreshing. And even in, even in the summer heat, it's there. And so what the Proverbs writer is telling us is you got to guard that thing because that's how your heart is. It's the wellspring of your whole life. Now, before we go any further, we should probably, like, define the terms. Any of you guys uh, want to be a preacher? Anybody here want to preach? Yeah, put those hands up. Yeah, come on, a little preaching tidbit here. I'm going to throw this out here for free. Uh, uh, rule number one in preaching, define the terms, right? So we're going to define the terms. What is your heart? Well, I'm just going to try to keep this brief tonight because it's kind of a big subject in the Bible. But I'm just going to keep this really short. For the sake of being brief, uh, this is what your heart is. Well, let me start this way. This is what your heart is not, okay? Your heart is not what you do, okay? Now, you do a lot of things because of what's in your heart, but what you do is never your heart, okay? Okay? Your heart is not your job. Uh, Your heart is not where you're from or the color of your eyes. It's it's something 
more fundamental. It, it, it's underneath all of that. Your heart is the seat of your passions. Anybody in here got things they're passionate about? And have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that if it's a real passion, someone doesn't have to teach you to be passionate about it? Okay, that's your heart. When, when, when there's something in your life and no one told you about it, no one taught you about it, no one invited you into it, but you just kind of like, ah, you know, the, I'm on fire for this thing. Oh, that's, you're experiencing the aliveness of your heart. No, when I was, um, when I was a kid, um, the first maybe awareness that I had that I had a heart and that I was becoming connected to it was I just wanted to play music. I just, I wanted to play guitar. I, I wanted to sing. And what's interesting is no one in my family is musical. No one. Like my mom doesn't play. My dad doesn't play. My aunts and uncles, none of them play. Uh, no one had a piano in their house. Uh, we didn't hardly even play the radio. Um, it, was a, it was an oddly silent family, you know? And here I am. I'm, I can remember being seven or eight years old and I'm just like, Dad, please buy me a guitar. And his answer was, no. <laughs> you know? But that was my heart. You know? That was my heart. That was my heart beginning to bubble up. It's that, it's the seat of your passions, that thing that you don't have to be taught. It's the fountain of your desires. It's the part of you that dreams and hopes. Anybody in here have some dreams and hopes? Hope you do. Um, listen, you got to guard your heart because what you're guarding is you're guarding your dreams and hopes. It's part of what we're getting out here. Uh, you you got to guard your heart because you, when you guard your heart, you're guarding your passions. And this is the other thing that's essential about your, part, your heart. Your heart is the part of you that was made for God and that was made for other people. It was made for God and made for other people. So it's really important. I want to give you three reasons why you need to guard your heart. There's a lot of young people here tonight. I think this is actually this is a word that we need together, okay? Here's why you need to guard your heart. Look at just the way that this is phrased. Above all else, read for that most important thing, right? Most important thing. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Why is your heart so important? Well, at least in the way that this is written here, apparently your heart is valuable. Above all else, if it's the most important thing, if guarding your heart is the most important thing, how many of you understand that it must mean that your heart is valuable? Well, let me put it this way. How many of you know that no one guards a trash can? <laughs> how, many of you know, how many of you know that, that no, one, no one takes a dirty diaper and then puts it in a safe? You know, we're gonna, I would hate for anyone to have this. This is important stuff, right? People, people don't guard trash, am I right? People, people don't build fences around the dump. Yeah. So if the, psalm, if, if the psalmist, if the Proverbs writer is telling us to guard our heart, the implication here is that it's valuable. One of the things that we all know is that the things that get guarded are the things that are supremely valuable. In Kentucky, right in the middle of Kentucky, there's a city, a little, a little bitty town called Fort Knox. Anybody ever heard of Fort Knox? It's sort of legendary. People, there's all this urban legend about like, what is Fort Knox? It's really guarded. It's really guarded. There's a military base there, and there's all kinds of fences, and there's uh, tanks and guns and everything. Well, here's the reason Fort Knox is, is so um, fenced in and armored. It's because all the gold in America is there. Yeah, 
We, we keep our gold there. You know what? And let me tell you, nobody can get it. Why? Because it's valuable and we've guarded that stuff, right? People guard what is valuable. Let me, let me phrase it again for you. Your passions are valuable. Your hopes and your dreams are valuable. Uh, that part of you that is alive to God and that you know is alive to God is valuable. That part of you that, that not just wants to but needs to connect to other people, that's valuable and you gotta guard it. Okay, number one. Number two. Number two. You gotta guard your heart because it's the headwaters to your whole life. Meaning it's, it's where your life flows from. Like your real life is coming out of your passions. Your real life is coming out of your dreams. Your real life is coming out of your hopes. Your real life is coming out of that part of you that wants to connect with God and needs to. Your real life is connected to other people. That's where your real life is. It's the headwaters to your whole life. Go back and talk about that spring again that I used to drink in when I was a little boy. Yeah, we used to drink in it. Let me just tell you now. I would never drink out of that, that spring. I would never drink out of that fountain anymore. And, and here's why. Because that farm is surrounded by other farms. <clears throat> and at least, at least for my entire adult life, it has been conventionally farmed. So all those other farms have been conventionally farmed. And here's what it means to conventionally farm. It means that all those other farms have had herbicides and pesticides and chemicals sprayed on them for years. And guess where that stuff goes? It trickles down and it gets in the water table and guess where it comes out? It comes out in the spring that's on my father's land, right? I wouldn't drink the water out of that spring for any amount of money now because it's been poisoned. Who knows what's in there? There's all sorts of chemicals in there. And if there's chemicals in there that farmers can spray on the ground that kill the weeds, how many of you know I don't want to drink that? No, I'm not, I'm not taking up that deal. Yeah. So you have to guard your heart because if we don't guard our heart, if we don't guard our hopes, if we don't guard our dreams, that part of us that's made for God and for other people, if we don't guard our passions, then, then one of the things that can happen is Whole areas of our life can be blighted. Entire areas of our life can be poisoned. Things that are really, really essential can get jacked up. How many of you realize that if your, if your dreams and your hopes and if your passions get poisoned, it could, actually, it could actually intoxicate in a really bad way your relationships and your vocation and where you go and your ability to hear and obey God? Does this make sense? Ooh, it's the headwaters of your life. It's not midstream, it's, it's the beginning of the stream. Third reason. Third reason, it's that first word, guard. If the proverb writer is telling us to guard our heart, it must mean it's under attack. Many of us in the room have experienced this, and we actually know this. You maybe didn't know that you know this, but you know this. Would you agree that our hearts are oftentimes, if not all the time, under attack. Dude, let me tell you, it's the truth. And if you're not aware of that, well, it may just be because you haven't lived long enough yet. Sorry to break the news, guys. See, the reason, the reason why the scripture says guard your heart is because in a really profound way, our, our hearts are constantly being assaulted. Life can be really difficult. Let's just do real time with Pastor Adam here for a second. Life can be really difficult. 
Like the person in your brain who you think has it all together, let me just tell you, they don't have it together as much as you think they do. The person that you think has everything completely squared away, uh, let me just tell you, life is really difficult for them as well. But think of the richest person you can think of that you know. Can I tell you a little secret? Life is really hard for them as well. Yeah. Why? Because life is just oftentimes really, really difficult. Um, many of us in this room even, uh, we've had dreams and we've got our hopes up and we even prayed and then suddenly things just didn't turn out the way that we thought they would go. Many of us in here have um, failed to consider the, just the psychological and the emotional toll that being a follower of Jesus in the modern world takes on a person after a decade or two, you know? It's sometimes really difficult, really difficult. Uh, not only that, and I don't mean to be too big of a buzzkill, but some of us in this room have experienced real trauma, like actual trauma. Uh, some of you have fathers who are borderline dangerous people, and you grew up in an abusive home. Uh, some of you had mothers who just were not really a mother. Uh, some of you had a relationship that was emotionally, psychologically, and maybe even physically abusive. I mean, let's just get real here for a minute, okay? Like, I I'm a pastor. One of the things that repeatedly comes into my office is life trauma. And it comes into my office with people that I thought were okay. Yeah, why? Because life is really difficult. Some of us here have experienced exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, some people in the room have had people violate your trust. Like, like you, you trusted someone. And what did you trust someone with? You trusted them with your heart. That part of you that needs to connect with God and wants to connect with people. Yeah, you trusted. And then they violated your trust. Ooh, you got a wound now, right? Uh, not only that, but some of us have had really high standards for ourselves. And then for all sorts of reasons, we failed to live up to those standards. And that begins to damage our heart. And then finally, let me just say this as well. Let me just reveal how, how medieval I am, okay? This is my pastor card, by the way. <clears throat> I'm showing you my pastor card. It says medieval on it. <laughs> what am I getting at? Uh, here's the other thing I'm getting at. Um, in addition to all the difficulties of life and the trauma that we can just experience just from being a person, in addition to all that, there's a spirit realm and not all of the spirit realm is great. Um, I, again, I'm so medieval, I, I, believe in, I believe in demonic powers that come to assail the church. I, I believe this, okay? And so in addition to all the things that just sort of happen, in addition to all of that, there are real demonic powers that are loose in the world and they do not want you to live out of your dreams, your hopes, or your passions, or your connection with God or other people, and they assail your heart. You have to guard your heart. Right? Yeah. Okay, those are the reasons why. Why? Well, your heart is valuable. It's the headwaters of your life. <clears throat> and then finally, because it's being attacked. It's being attacked. It's just the normal state of the world. Well, then how do we guard our heart? How do we guard our heart? Well, for some of those who were at Calls to Live For last night, this will be a little bit of a repeat, but we can do this again. Why don't you all just go with me here, okay? I want you to breathe in. Now just keep breathing in, come on. 
Come on, work with me. Keep going. Don't stop. Just don't, don't. Okay, we'll try it the other way. Why don't you breathe out? Come on, breathe out. Just exhale. Keep going. No, no, you, you went too quick. Keep going. I mean, you took another breath. I saw you. How many of you realize, how many of you realize you can't just breathe in or breathe out? How many of you realize if, if you organize, if you organize your physiology around either just breathing in or just breathing out, pretty soon you're dead. Well, here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that the created order, I've, I've noticed that the universe seems to have this flow, and I think this is by God's design. There's flow. There's breathing in, and there's breathing out. And this is one of the most essential ways for guarding your heart. And by the way, I'm not talking about actual breathing in and breathing out. <laughs> Breathing in and breathing out is a metaphor for the way that life is designed. Uh, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Uh, some of us in this room are, are sort of bent towards breathing in. And by breathing in, I mean we're receivers, right? We, we, we receive. Uh, we're, we're maybe a little more comfortable with uh, all things that are receiving. And let's just put it in church context here for a minute. Like, you're, you're comfortable receiving prayer. Uh, you're, you're comfortable, you're comfortable um, receiving pastoral care. You're, you're comfortable uh, being at church. You're comfortable being in a worship environment. Uh, you're comfortable reading your Bible and expecting to hear from God. And so you're just like, re you're receiving. And all the receiving is like breathing in, okay? But how many of you understand that even if you're breathing in and even if it's a good thing, that if there's not a consequential breathing out, you're dead, it's kind of an amazing thing. Like, like if you're a church person, I just want to put this in church and then we can widen that out a little bit. But even if you're a church person and you do lots of breathing in and you do lots of receiving, if there isn't a correlated breathing out, it'll be no benefit to you. And in fact, it'll leave you open to being wounded in your heart. As paradoxical as that is. And at the same time, some of us here, we're also we're like breathing out people and you're the givers, okay? You're the givers. Um, like my wife is a breathe out person. She is a, she's a giver. Uh, she is a helper and she will serve, 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 serve. Like she'll, you'll, you'll, some of you are like, you'll do anything. Like anything that needs to be done, you just do it. No one even has to ask you. You see it and you're on it. And you're just, you know, you're grinding all the time. You're helping, you're helping. You have massive uh, compassion and mercy gifts. Anybody who's hurting, dude, you're on it. Like you don't even have to, you're, you're, you're giving your money, all of, you know, all of your money. You, you'd give the shirt off of your back. And how many of you know that all of these things that I'm talking about right now, they're also very good. But how many of you understand that if you breathe out, if you're just a giving, giving, giving person and there's never any breathing in, you'll be dead. In the pastoral world, we call it getting burnt out. At home, we call it being crispy. Yeah. Yeah, in order to guard your heart, we need rhythms. We need rhythms of breathing in and breathing out. This has to do with our spiritual life, but it actually has to do with everything. You need to breathe in. You need seasons of receiving, and then you need rhythm, and you need regular seasons of giving. And your giving has to be rooted in your receiving. And your receiving has to be, uh, it has to be determined in your heart that everything you receive will be given away. Just uh, everything in your physiology and everything in the universe is doing this exchange of giving and receiving. The tides go out, the tides come in, right? Uh, even right now, we're all breathing. We've been breathing all day. Our lungs fill up, our lungs collapse. 
right now, your heart is, bump, is bumping. Your heart is beating. <laughs> I speak for a living. Your heart is beating, and there are chambers of your heart right now. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure this is the way it works. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure the way this works. Uh, right now, there are chambers of your heart that are receiving blood, and at the same time, they are giving away blood, right? Right now, everything in God's creation is, is experiencing this receiving and giving. Where's the life at? Let me just tell you right now. Receiving and giving. And even as I've been talking about this, some of you realize, oh my gosh, I'm a receiver and I, I, I gotta start giving. And some of you realize, oh my word, I am a giver, but I have got to admit that I need to be a receiver. That's where the life is. That's the first way to guard your heart. Number two. Number two. I want to talk about calluses on your heart for a second. This is something the Lord's been talking to me about. Um, when I was 14, <clears throat> my father always valued work. When I turned 14, my dad took me to this like nursery garden center, um, like where plants are. I don't, I don't know what, if you guys have these or what you call them, but it, it was like a tree farm and it, there was all these shrubs and flowers. My dad took me to one of these places and we walked into the office of the guy who owned the business and my father said to him, he says, Rob, this is my son, his name is Adam. Um, I would love for you to hire him. And I'm just going to drop him off. Now, listen, you know, Rob hasn't said a word at this point. My dad says, I'm dropping him off. Uh, I'd love for you to just work him out for a week. And if you think he's any good, you can keep him. And if you think he's no good, send him home and don't pay him. And my dad, like, basically walks out the door, you know. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, I didn't know what we were doing right now. But Rob was like, sure. And so I got a job. And I was working at this garden center. It was really cool, too, because I got to drive the tractor. And when you're 14, that's all you care about. Like, heavy equipment, you know. <laughs> I was driving tractors, but then we were also like planting trees. It was man work. It's where I got my man card, you know? We were like planting trees, and it's also where I got my not man card, because I was out planting flowers. I was doing everything, you know? I was, I was very, very metro, you know? Anyway, but as a part of this, as a part of this, I worked really hard from the time I turned 14, but it was really fun, too. I just, I enjoyed being outside, and it was physical, and like we would go do these jobs and we would show up at a place and it would be horrendous. Like somebody's yard would look just look terrible and their home would be nasty. And then we'd spend two days there and then it's like a brand new house, you know? It's like HGTV or something. And there's just some satisfaction that comes from that. But one of the things that happened really quickly from all the digging and shoveling and hauling rocks and throwing things around and I never liked to wear gloves. I just couldn't, I'm not a person who can wear gloves. I don't know what that is. But one of the things that happened really quickly is I got calluses on my hands right? And here's the thing about calluses. Calluses come on your hands when you're working, and the reason they come onto your hands when you're working is they're, is they're firming up that part of you that's soft and would otherwise rip, and they're, and they're enabling you to work more without any pain. Does that make sense? Have you ever gotten a new pair of running shoes, and you're like, man, I'm just going to go on like a 10-mile run? Never run in these. And then the next thing you know, you got blisters on your feet, right? They're just not broken in. And then you do that a day or two and the shoes begin to break in and then all of a sudden you notice you've got a callus on your foot. And you could, you know, you could just, it doesn't matter what you're wearing anymore. Here's the thing. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but your heart can actually become callous too. Your heart can actually become calloused. Uh, especially in those areas where you've been, where you have been pricked by your 
your mercy and your compassion, even the mercy and compassion that comes from God. How many of you have ever done some ministry or just even in your own family or even in your friendships, how many of you have ever been led by your mercy and compassion and then had somebody rough your mercy and compassion up a little bit? Yeah. How many of you have ever been maybe a little naive in relationships and then someone either on purpose or not on purpose took advantage of your naivety? Has that ever happened? Yeah, one of the things that will happen, even, even in church work, even in ministry, one of the things that can happen is the very part of you that is vulnerable and makes you open to people and even open to God, oftentimes with use, your heart can come, become just like your hands. And, and here's what's crazy about all of this. Uh, you can get a callus on your heart. And, and here's what's super crazy and super paradoxical. You can have a callus on your heart which will actually make you more efficient, more proficient, and, and more professional. And at the same time, you become numb and unfeeling. Tell you a story that's about me that's not good. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I'm at church. Actually, I'm pulling into church. <clears throat> and there's this, we're getting ready for staff meeting and most of the staff is already there because I know their cars, I pull in. And there's this one car, it's kind of weird, it's sitting off to the side. I pull in, I look in the car because I don't really recognize it, and I see there's two people sitting in there, and I thought, I wonder what this is. So I went over, and they rolled their window down, and I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? And, and the guy in the driver's seat said, he says, hey, we need some help. We need some help. Uh, we have no brakes on our car. And I'm thinking, how'd you get here? <laughs> so how'd you stop in this, in this spot, you know? This is what's in my head. It's not what's coming out of my mouth, but some, you know, you know that thing. He's like, we have no brakes on our car. We need some money to get our car fixed. And I'm thinking, you're scamming me. That's what I'm thinking, right? And I'm thinking, furthermore, I've got a really important church thing to go to, bro. I'm, this is all going on in the heart, in the head right up here and in the heart, man. And I'm thinking, I've got a staff meeting and we're gonna talk about important stuff. I do not have time to get scammed by some dude who's wanting money because he has no brakes on his car. Nevertheless, you are here and your car is stopped. How did that happen, right? This is all the stuff that's in my brain. I get my phone out. There's a couple mechanics who work at my church. I call Alex. I said, Alex, there's a guy here. I don't know. He says he has no brakes. Can you please come look at it? And Alex is on the other end. He's like, oh, absolutely, I'll be right there. That annoyed me too, you know? <laughs> it's like, no, no, Alex, no. Tell him he has to wait, you know, in the inside. I'm like, and I'm bummed that you're so happy about this, you know? And Alex is like, I'll be right there. And like two minutes later, Alex comes with his flatbed truck and he like puts a winch thing on the car and he pulls the car up onto the flatbed and he takes it to his shop. And I get a text halfway through staff meeting and it's pictures of the guy's brakes, and then, you know, it means nothing to me. I'm not a mechanic. It could be pictures of Mars. It would, it, it would mean nothing. And then Alex writes a little message. Uh, Pastor Adam, just want you to know, this is the worst condition I've ever seen any brakes in. I don't know how these people are still alive. They should be dead. Lots of people should be dead. That's the text, you know? <laughs> and he's fixed them, and then, and then I'm thinking, 
okay, Alex, that's really sweet. What, what do we need to pay you? And, and so I text him, Alex, what can we pay you? And Alex is like, oh, no, man, this one's on the house. I'm really happy to do it. And that just, I was like, no, 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 you will, take, you will take some money. This was an inconvenience, and we have money at the church, and you're going to get it, buddy, you know, and this is all inside, right? And, and, this, and this is all happening in staff meeting, and, and I don't hide my emotions well. This is one of my major, like, interpersonal problems like you know what I'm thinking like it's just it and um, my face tells all the story it doesn't matter and and so it's someone at staff is like hey you know Adam you okay and I'm like no I'm actually not okay I'm like super frustrated and it's all worked out you know and then I'm then I'm sort of realizing what a jerk I'm being and then and then the Holy Spirit just I mean just right in the middle of staff I mean just you know quiet in my heart and he was like yeah your heart is filled with calluses I'm like Guilty, <laughs> guilty, right? I'd become a professional. Um, let me tell you right now, I'll just confess this to you. I'm a recovering professional. Uh, maybe some of you are too. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not a professional pastor yet. Listen, it could happen to you. Uh, but maybe you're just like a professional friend. Or maybe you're a professional fill-in-the-blank Maybe, maybe all of your relationships and maybe all of your interactions at church and at home and at school and in your neighborhood have taken on an air of professionalism and you're super efficient, you cut right through it, you know exactly what's going on and that tender part of you that made you vulnerable and, and such a blessing to people, uh, through use, through cooperating with the mercy and compassion, maybe, maybe it's become callous and, and now you're really good at stuff but you're sort of a bulldozer. I mean, maybe that's not you. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I feel better saying that anyway. But one of the ways I know that we have to guard our heart is heart calluses. We need to ask God to come and remove them. All right, number three. Two more and we'll be done. Something I call sprinting marathons. Have any runners in the house? Anybody here a runner? Yeah. <laughs> anyone, anyone, anyone else want to tell the truth? <laughs> anyone else in here a runner? How many of you know this? How many of you know this? It would be unwise to sprint a marathon. It'd be unwise to sprint a marathon. Uh, what do I mean? How does this relate to guarding your heart? Well, um, guys, life is a marathon. It's this weird thing. Uh, on the one hand, the Bible says life, life is a vapor. That's what it says in James. And then on the other hand, life is a marathon. Let's just talk about our life in Jesus for a minute. Let's just talk about like being a disciple. And I hope, I hope you've made the decision to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a marathon. It would be unwise to sprint that. In fact, it would be unwise to sprint almost any part of your life. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, let me see. I got baptized when I was like 13. I kind of grew up in a home. I, 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 I felt like I always knew God. Like that wasn't the issue. Uh, I didn't get baptized until I was 13 because I was just afraid to stand up in front of people and do the thing. <laughs> Seriously. But I've been following Jesus pretty much my whole life. And 
Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but people are, for the most part, living a really long time now. Like, really, like you, you, could, you could drink 12 beers a day and smoke four packs of cigarettes, and they, they've kind of got some pills that are pretty good right now, and like, you'll probably make it to 80. Like in the States, I, you know, I don't know if that's the same here, but in the States, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed 80. And I think, you know, lots of people are much, much, living much, much longer. I, I, the reason I'm saying this is uh, it's entirely possible that depending on where you're at with Jesus right now or other parts of your life, or maybe you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, but it looks like everybody in here is about 20 years old with a few exceptions. You know, hey, let's just, let's just say that you're 20 and you're going to make a decision sometime here in the next little bit to follow Jesus, or maybe you've already made that decision. You made it when you were like six or eight or Maybe you made it when you were a teenager. And let's just say that most of us in here are going to be 80 one day, and I kind of think we are. It's entirely possible that you're going to have to do this Jesus gig for like 60 or 70 years. It'd be really wise not to sprint this thing. A few years ago, I got super bummed out about Jesus. Not about Jesus, but Adam. I'm going to tell you another bad story about myself, okay? I was like in this spot with Jesus where I was frustrated about a few things, and I won't go into that, but in addition to being frustrated about a few things, I was also frustrated. I was frustrated like trying to lead people. I, I don't know how to describe this. It, it wasn't like anybody was doing anything bad. I'm like My staff was happy, but I was just feeling my own ineptitude. You know, I've been, uh, I've been a lead pastor for 10 years. I was a worship pastor nine years before that. I've been at the same church for over 19 years. I have deep roots there. And then after, after 15 or 16 years of ministering to these same people, I just felt like I was out of gas and I was just feeling incredibly inadequate. And all this frustration was, was coming up and, and I was just super bummed out. And then I, I, I always read the gospels. I, like I read the gospel. I read at least a little bit out of the gospels every single day. And then while I was frustrated like this, I was reading the Gospels and I sort of put it together. I, I don't know why I hadn't put this together before, but all of a sudden I did and then it just made me so mad. And here's what I put together. I put together that Jesus only had to like lead the disciples for three years, right? And then when I put that together one morning, I got super angry and I, I, like, I prayed this out loud. I'm like, Jesus, you're basically asking me to do something that you didn't even do. I don't even, like, you know, I, I don't know. Do you guys pray like that? This is how I pray. Like, I, if, it's, if, I, if it's in here, I just got to say it. So I was like, Jesus, this is impossible. You did it for three years. Great job, you know? I'm, I'm like 16 years in, and I'm dying here. I literally have no more good ideas. I don't have any more. I got no more rabbits I can pull out of the hat, you know? I got nothing else. And, and you're asking me to do this, and the Son of God is not even a model for me. Some of you are like, that's sacrilegious. <laughs> kind of, kind of. I don't know what else to say. It's just like, here's the deal. God will not handle your fake life. He only handles your real life. And so eventually you just have to tell him the God's honest truth. And so that's what I did. I was just like, I was standing up in my office. I was just sort of ranting and raving. I'm like, come on, Jesus, help a brother out. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's that quiet voice. It's, as soon as I quit like yelling, this quiet voice spoke to me and he said, uh, hey, bro, <laughs> it was, we have this kind of a relationship. It was sort of like a, a hey, bro, uh, you know what's wrong with you? You've been sprinting marathons in skinny jeans. You got a chapped <laughs> butt, you know? <laughs> That's an image you didn't want, was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've been sprinting marathons in skinny jeans. 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about tonight. Let me just tell you, your walk with Jesus, it's a walk. Uh, here's another thing you can look at. You can read all of the Gospels, and the one thing you'll never find, you never find Jesus running anywhere. Jesus never runs anywhere. Even when Jairus' daughter died and they said, hey, would you come and help us? You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't take off running. He walked. When Lazarus was sick, guess what he did? Slowed down. (laughs) Is he dead yet? Okay, we'll go. (laughs) Not only that, this is even crazier. You can read the Gospels, and no one in the Gospels, no one in the Gospels gets a revelation of the Son of God by running. There's even this one moment where Peter and John run into the tomb. It wasn't until they stopped running that they got the revelation of what had actually happened to Jesus. Running doesn't get it done. Some of you have been running. You've just been running. And you're wondering, like, man, why why is my heart feeling so crazy? So crazy. Well, it's because you're sprinting a marathon. You need to find your pace. I have some thoughts about that, but we don't have time for that. Okay, finally, finally, if you're going to guard your heart, you need a constellation for the journey, a constellation for the journey. Um, I don't really know anything about the stars. I just know that in Kentucky, on a clear night where I live, you can see the Milky Way, you know, it's pretty amazing. And um, from what I understand, from what little history that I remember from school, Apparently in times past, apparently in times past, um, men and women who were traversing the ocean could tell where they were by the position of the stars in the sky. They, they could read the constellations and then navigate. Uh, could someone confirm that for me? Is that right? It is true. Okay, good. This, this gentleman right here has confirmed it. There's a witness. I'm not lying. Okay, good. Here's what I found out. In order to guard your heart, you actually need a constellation for the journey, and, and here's what I mean by a constellation for the journey. You need, some, you need a constellation of relationships in your life to help you along. You, you, need, at least, you need at least probably three or four stars. I, what I'm realizing is um, I'm so feeble and weak, I need about seven or eight stars, but I'm gonna talk to you about three or four real quick, okay? Uh, the first little star in your constellation that you need for the journey is um, you need friends. You need real friends. One of the questions I always ask everyone that I meet is, who's your best friend? Does everybody in here have a best friend? You you need a best friend. And if if you can pull it off, you need three or four best friends. Do you guys remember when you were in like, like primary school? I don't, what do you guys call kindergarten? Primary. Like when you're like, five years or six years old in school, and then if you ask a five-year-old who's your best friend, they give you a list of 10 people, that's it. That's really it. Like that, and, and you listen, that may not be doable for a lot of us for all kinds of reasons, but if you have one, you're a rich person. If you have any more than one, you're, you're, basically, you're basically Bill Gates, okay? But you need, you need some best friends, and if you could pull off having three or four best friends, that would be great it will actually guard your heart. And here's why you need a best friend. Uh, You need some person or a few people that like you for you and who are not trying to change you. And they don't think less of you. They don't think less of you when they encounter your weakness. They just like you. So right now in my life, I have 
I have four best friends. It's really great. There's a text thread that's on my phone. It's, it's actually bumped three times since I've been talking, and I know what it is. It's, it's my best friend text thread, and it's just going all the time. Like, we read articles in the New York Times. We read books. We trade music. Uh, we talk about politics. We talk about theology. We talk about sports, and it's just... And it's just always going, right? We call each other and we go on vacation and no one in the group is trying to change anyone else in the group, you know? We're just enjoying each other for being a person. Uh, here's what's weird. That will guard your heart. You need, you need that safe space. That's a constellation. Uh, here's another star in your constellation. <clears throat> this, is, this is for the people who are married. If you're married... If you're married, and I think there's a few people here who are married, and if you're not married, just file this one away, okay? You're going to need this one. Uh, you don't need just a spouse. You need absolute honesty in your marriage. Like absolute honesty. My wife and I, we've been married 19 years, and what I realized is it took us about eight or nine years to get honest. Like really honest. I thought we were honest early on. We weren't. Here's the other part. You never know who you're marrying. <laughs> you, you don't know who that person is, you know? You say yes. You're like, I met the man or the woman of my dreams. Hey, call me in a year, you know? <laughs> it's all going to work out. But one of the things that you need to do, the sooner you can, you need absolute honesty in your marriage. Uh, the Bible says in Genesis that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and they were not ashamed. This is, this is an image of transparency, like absolute whatever it is, whatever's in your heart, whatever's going on, whatever you're into, whatever's tripping you up, whatever's bringing you down, whatever's working, whatever's not working, absolute honesty. That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a constellation in the sky and it will protect your life. It will keep your heart beating. Here's what's weird. You can have a decent marriage and sort of hide some things, but great marriages are always honest. Honest, honest, honest. Third thing you need, it's a relationship, it's in the sky. You need a pastor. Here's the deal, this guy's actually pretty darn good. Here's the other part, this church is big enough, he can't actually pastor all of you in the way that you need to be pastored. But you know what, there's other people here who can. Here's what I mean by you need a pastor. You need a pastor. You need someone who cares about the condition of your soul. You need someone who knows you, who even likes you, and you need someone who will pray for you. You need someone who would correct and encourage you. About four years ago, I had this little awakening, and my awakening was this. I realized I didn't have a pastor. I realized I'm pastoring, and I don't have a pastor. I'm like, whoa, this is heavy. I, all of a sudden, I began to articulate and pinpoint some of the things that are happening in my life. And I realized, oh, this is not okay. So I called a guy on the phone and I had an awkward conversation and I asked him to be my pastor. Have you ever realized how sometimes those conversations are super awkward? Oh, hello, yeah. Hey, I just wanted you to know I really like you and I respect you and I need you to be my pastor. <laughs> and the guy on the other end was like, that's not what I thought this call was about, you know? <laughs> Wasn't anticipating this. Yeah, and it's been amazing the last four years, the last four years to have someone who prays for me, the last four years to have someone who calls me and texts me and says, hey, uh, how's your wife? 
she a happy person? Are you treating your kids okay? How's your church? Are you all right on the inside? Hey, is there anything you're lying about, Adam? That's a question, right? Can I tell you something? One of, one of the things my pastor asks me really often is, is there anything you've been lying about? And that one goes a lot of different directions, right? You know one of the things I discovered after having a pastor for about a year? I've been lying about all kinds of stuff. Seriously, I've been lying about all sorts of things. And then you know what feels great? To be honest and have someone who pastored me. And then I started telling them the things that I just wasn't being truthful over. And it wasn't like I was stealing or cheating on my wife. It wasn't that. It was all these other little subharmonic things that people just sort of like don't want to tell the truth on. Then I told him the truth. And you know what was awesome? He didn't think less of me. He didn't think less of me. I started telling the truth and he would immediately follow with, I just really love you and I think you're a brave person. And then he would say, let's pray, you know. And he would pray for me and it's it's been transformative. And then at one point, he even corrected me. He was like, you know, there's this thing you're doing, and I don't think, I don't think that's what you should be doing. And here's why I don't think it's what you should be doing. And he, this is, was amazing. He was like, I don't think you should be doing that because I don't think that's your calling. He's like, you're actually really good at it, but it's not what you're called to, right? Like, we, we had this long discussion about what am I called to? And then he just helped me begin to take away all the things that I wasn't called to and, and focus my life again. It's been amazing. You need a pastor. Do you have a pastor? You need a pastor. You need someone who's with you. Uh, you know what's great about this church? There's pastors everywhere. Really great people. You need, and here's the other thing. Usually your pastor is a little bit older than you in the faith. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, last thing you need. Last thing you need. And this, this might be a little out of the box for some of you, but I'm going to put it out there because one day you're going to remember this and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's it. Um, one of the things I've come to realize is... Um, I need a spiritual director. Anybody ever heard of a spiritual director? Yeah, here's basically what a spiritual director is. Uh, it's, it's someone in your life who's, who's sort of like a pastor, but the cool thing about a spiritual director is uh, they're not really in the friend circle, you know? And so I have this spiritual director, and I call them up. We do a Skype. It's kind of weird, but it re- totally works. And, and then we do this super bizarre thing where we look at each other on FaceTime, and then we sit in silence for about five minutes, He'll pray like this innocuous prayer, like, you know, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just be with us while we're on FaceTime? It's just so weird. And then, and he was like, we're just going to sit in silence before you, God. And then would you just, would you just surface anything that you want us to talk about today? And so we sit in silence and, and then basically it's like almost like stream of consciousness. And so I just start talking about my spirit, start talking with my spiritual director about anything that I want to talk about. Like I could tell him all my dark stuff that would be sort of like pastoral, or I could just be like, ah, uh, here's some things that are happening in my life and I'm just kind of excited about it. And then he'll ask me questions. He doesn't really tell me anything. He just keeps asking me probing questions. And then, and then we talk and then he asks me more questions. He's a really good questioner. So you need somebody in your life who's asking questions and not just telling you what to do, but asking questions. And then we'll talk and then he asks questions. And then all of a sudden we've spent an hour together and we've had this conversation that I completely didn't plan on having. And it seems almost un- unbelievably random. And then at the end of it, my spiritual director, who's not really in my friend circle, he doesn't live in my town, he doesn't know all my friends, he doesn't know the drama in my life. At the end of this conversation, my spiritual director just begins to mirror back at me. That's what he calls it, mirroring. And here's basically what the mirroring is. He just says, Adam, here's all the, here's all the areas where I see God in your life, right? 
Before I got a spiritual director, I had this sense of loneliness in my life. It was really weird. I couldn't articulate it until I got a spiritual director and realized, oh, I, I thought I was alone. And here's what was, was really weird. I thought I was alone with God. I got a spiritual director. We hang out once a month. And you know what I realized? God is in my life. It's really weird, huh? God is actually in my life. You need people who can, who can help process your life occasionally. Maybe you don't need it every month, but you might need it three or four times a year just to talk and someone who can go, you know what, this rambling conversation wasn't rambling at all. In fact, it was, it was a manifestation of the Spirit. And let me just show you, let me mirror to you all the ways in which God is present and active in your life right now. How many of you would want that? Yeah. There's actually a few more things you might need, but this is, this is just to help you get an idea of a constellation. Just, just imagine a constellation to navigate your life by. Uh, here's the other thing about a constellation, and we'll just wrap it up right here because I got to catch a cab. <laughs> the other thing about a constellation of relationships is this. Um, no one person can be everything for you. All right? No one person can be everything to you. Uh, you, know, you know, Paul, he's really, this guy's pretty baller. Yeah. Like, we, we had, like, an amazing conversation about like theology and football and all kinds of other stuff last night, right? Paul's incredible. You know what? If you were best friends with Paul, that'd be really good. Can I tell you something? And even if you were, as good as Paul is, he could never be everything you needed and neither can anyone else. That's why we need a constellation. So maybe, maybe one of the ways that you could guard your heart is uh, maybe you could begin to pray for the next three months. You could begin to pray for the next three months and you could begin to say, God, would you help me build a constellation of relationships in my life? that I could go to and I could receive the things that I need from you and then I don't have to put attachments onto them and need them to be things that they can't be for me. Here's, here's another weird thing like, along this idea. Like, even when you're married, your spouse can't be everything for you. I see marriages all the time that crumble because one partner needs the other partner to be their pastor, their spiritual director, their best friend, their homeboy, their sport person. You know, It's like, bro, who can do that? You know, you're wearing me out. I just want you to be my, my heart's companion, you know, my true companion. That's, that's what I call my wife. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. Was this helpful? Yeah, amen. All right. I've got a few minutes. Let's do this. Um, we can do some Holy Spirit. Here we go. Why don't you stand up? And if you're on the band, come on up because there's going to be worship. And I just want to say that you guys are lovely. Thanks for letting an American come and talk at you. It's really kind. All right. Why don't, we just, why don't we just put our hands out like this? Actually, let's do this. Let's put our hand on our heart. One hand out, one hand on our heart. Like we're really, we're rolling tonight. Yeah. Mm. God, we ask that you would give us the spirit tonight. God, we ask that you would, that you would fill us with the spirit that our hearts might be guarded. God, these things that I've shared tonight, uh, to the extent that it has stirred anything up in us, to the extent that it has caused things that were hidden to come to the surface, God, to the extent that it has caused us to feel things that we didn't even know we were feeling before, to the extent that I've named something that this group of people couldn't name, God, I ask that you would help us all. Uh, and even now, God, I ask that you, would, that you would begin to speak to us and that you would, that you would help us guard our own hearts. I just feel like even the Lord says tonight, like, you, like someone else can't do the work of guarding your heart. Like this is something you gotta take responsibility for, you know? Some of you are gonna begin to take responsibility over your life in a brand new way.
Mm -hmm. God, for everybody in the room, let's just go to Constellation here for a minute. For everybody in the room, I, I pray that everybody in this room would have best friends. Best friends. By the way, that doesn't always mean cool friends. Best friends, right? I'd rather have best friends than cool friends any day of the week. I pray that everybody in this room would have a, a, a spouse that they're open and honest with. And if you don't have a spouse yet, I just pray that everybody in this room would, have, would meet the perfect spouse one day. I know that's on a lot of your minds. I pray that everybody here would meet the most amazing woman and the most amazing man and that you would have honesty in your relationship from day one. I pray that everybody in this room would find a pastor. Mm. Whether they have a, a title or not, I pray that everybody in this room would have someone who prays for them and cares for their soul and you could be honest with and that you could receive correction from. And finally, I pray that everyone in this room could have someone who could just reflect the spiritual life with you and could journey with you and show you that God has not forsaken you but is with you. Mm. So I bless you to prosper in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.